Uh, do you you watch the Birds of Prey movie, right? Yeah, and and that I like the fact that you know she mentions her ex, but mm-hmm. she's not gonna go go after him or anything. She just mentions like yep, yeah, and then it's done and over with. It's like good. good. What? So you did you like the you liked the movie, right? Or how did you feel about it, the movie? It was fun. I mean, there was some good just funny stuff. There's some good dumb stuff. I mean, overall, I wouldn't say it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I gave it. Um, I gave it a seven. Like yeah. a, I, I thought, but then that's the problem is because I knew I knew I was gonna have a tough time. I've continued to have a tough time with the Harley Quinn character, no matter what I do. It's just very <laughs> challenging for me to like the character. <laughs> it felt like a Deadpool movie. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it wasn't bad. Like I talked to my other friends who were like, "Oh, I hated like every other character." But Harley Quinn nailed Harley Quinn, or Ro- Margot Robbie nailed Harley Quinn. Like I think she played Harley Quinn. I just have a tough time liking the character. I liked every other character around Harley Quinn. Like he hated Renee Montoya. Like I loved Renee Montoya. Like I definitely yeah. thought the fight where she went blow for blow with Harley at the end, even yeah. though Harley did all these crazy fight scenes, and this drunk person <laughs> who's barely like hanging on just like goes blow for blow. But still, I liked her character. I don't disagree with people that said that the Black Canary should have her own like spinoff movie. I think she was a great character. Definitely didn't feel like, definitely was not Black Canary. It's like a complete iterate, different iteration of Black yeah. Canary. Like if they didn't do the super scream at the end, I would not have known it was Black Canary. Yeah. Like that was just very out there. And my favorite character was the Huntress. And the whole plot of the movie seemed more in line with them because it had to do with their family and they had barely any like, time yeah. in it. But it's like, I think like a lot of people say you gotta like test the markability first and people know who Harley Quinn was. And it was fun. It just didn't change or in it didn't it didn't impact my my experience any way better or less. It was just a like a solid movie with, you know, goods and bads, but nothing like that made me say it was a terrible movie. It was just like I walked out and I was like, That was good, that was fun. Like, yeah. Good time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I saw it with uh Jeff and Django and Colette and Justin, I think, was there and some other folks. And we had fun because, you know, Black Mask was Roman. They kept on, every time they <laughs> used his name or she would call him Romy, they all looked at me because they all Aww, call me that. Romy. So we had fun with making fun of that and those Roman, jokes. Roman, you should pick up, like, you should see if there's a clothing services that just, like, does. Roman that, that's what I was thinking. I that's, was like, man, for I mean, next Halloween, I want I want to go as Black Mask because his clothes were awesome. They were really I good. I love the gloves, everything. The, the suits, gloves was the a very interesting cool. thing. Yeah, the mask was cool. <sighs> like, he was a very good character. But, yeah, I, I guess we don't want to get spoiler territory stuff because we're not here to talk no, about no, no, Harley Quinn, cool. Birds did, of Prey. I, it is funny, though. I really did like Huntress a lot, too. Huntress was great. She was different than the Huntress in the they comics, were, and They were fine, all but, very different yeah. in it, which... Which is and except for Harley a, Quinn. I'm not a fan of Harley either, though I thought Margot Robbie does a really good the the current Harley that's popular because mm-hmm. I'm a fan of like the old Harley and the jester outfit. Mm-hmm. That's not like a sexy bad girl. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the problem is I have is like it's a tough thing of like all these books that want to focus around Harley Quinn and the Joker's relationship on top of like the hot topic uh, sexualization of the character instead of like, and I know some of these books that I haven't all read like focus on like the empowerment of breaking free of the Joker and I think that's all really great it's just really tough to get to it because then they had that uh, Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey book that came out for Black Label just recently not the Azaretto one but the the big mm. one Yeah, and I'm just like man they just like every character that she interacts with she thinks want to have sex with them 
and there's just a lot of like things. I just like it just was not yeah. definitely for me. I know it's for other people. I just it's just tough. And it's I like the movie, but it's the same thing with the TV show. I really love the Harley Quinn TV show. Yeah. But I love every other character <coughs> around Harley Quinn. I love Poison Ivy. I love all the other characters, like the supporting cast reacting to her. It's not like she's bad in it. It's just I don't know. I just something at some point was enough to just snap and say, I don't know if this is characters for me, and I don't know if it ever will be. I'm going to pick up the Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn book that spun out of Heroes in Crisis, but mm. I tried to read some of the Harley Quinn after Rebirth, and I just couldn't make it through like an issue. I was like, I'm just not interested. Yeah, I don't know. It was too much a ripoff of Deadpool. I didn't even know there was a Harley Quinn TV show. Is it animated? Yeah, it's animated. Oh. Yeah, and I the fun, the funny thing is, is with it's in the DC Universe app, Every time a show's ending, they start up another one. So it was like Titans oh. and then Doom Patrol. And then when that was ending, Swamp Thing. And then now this. And I'm like, okay, so again, oh, and then season two of Titans. So I'm like, okay, what's coming next? I know Stargirls was teased during the Crisis on Infinite Earths and CW. I know they're doing other Titans and I know they're recording Doom Patrol, but what's like, I don't know what's announced yet because they didn't say Stargirls next. They announced Harley Quinn's next again in April. I'm like, wow. They really, they really invested in this one because animating takes forever. Yeah. And to have already had season one and now they're about to launch season two and within like a month and a half, that's crazy. Like, I'm like, great. I mean, I'm enjoying it. Like, Kite Man's in it. That's fun. Yeah. But I'm just like, wow, that it sells. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my favorite Harley Quinn actually is on the DC Super Superhero Girls oh, animated yeah. show on Netflix. That one's good. Yeah, because she's just... She's just a crazy goofball, but her and Babs are friends, and it's cute. And I think that's. I think not that's, sexualized at all because you know she's like fourteen. <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm hoping if they want her to be this, like they know she sells. If they want her to be this character, and they and they know she's going to be this character that already sells a lot, and they're going to go into five G, which is going to be a reboot. I think if I think that what something I would like, and I don't know if other people would, but use that reboot to finally do a hard push like get that kind of relationship with barbara gordon and dc superhero girls harley quinn where instead of like having like this whole stuff like with the joker and clown like deadpool style make this a character that you know is about like independence and not like being like this their world has become like this center based because of another character like Joker. Like yeah. Joker can be there and Joker can have like some sort of new art, like create some new story, but that reflects a more positive tone. Like Harley Quinn could have become Harley Quinn on her own. And the Joker is somehow part of it. Like that could be when he becomes like a anti like an anti, like the opposite of her, like a villain to her, yeah. but make her become Harley Quinn for other reasons. And then, this is a character that's challenging or like might be interested in her, but this is like showing that like you don't need these people or like don't go for these people kind of thing. Like make her a hero, make her a role model, like full in, lean in on it. Still make her crazy, but I don't know. That would be something to do. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. And that is how we're going to intro <laughs> into this podcast. So welcome back, Infinity Gems, to episode 19 of Infinity Content Podcast. <laughs> which has nothing to do with Harley Quinn. <laughs> which has nothing to do with Harley Quinn. Uh, Infinity Content Podcast, this is a Comics Place podcast. I am 
Trevor, uh, co-hosting with my good friend Roman. How are you doing, Roman? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I know. It feels like it's been exactly a month since we've actually got together. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get keep this going. Uh, how, how are you? Like Anything new? What's going on? What's happening in your life? I, I, I just finished up a big old pet sit, house sit, and... With the, with the doggos? Yep. Well, nice. actually, no, this was just with one cat. One out cat. Sudden Valley. Ooh. What was the cat's name? Bella Mimi. Oh, <laughs> so cute. It is. I love it. Uh, for anybody that might notice, or for Roman, I'm going to try <laughs> to keep the sniffling to a minimum. I have been on and off sick for a month. Wow, it's been a month. Each. It's been a month. Every time like I, I go two days and I feel like, great. And then I just immediately went back to being dog shit. Like, ugh. So I'm on an upswing again. It's the most frustrating thing because I've always toted for years that I do not get sick. (laughs) And all of a sudden in the last month, it's just been nonstop sick all the time. And I've just, even in just the last year, I've at least gotten sick like every couple months for like a couple days. And I hate it. Wow. It makes me think of all the times where people in my class, like in like school, where I was like, oh man, it's just like not go. Like, I wish I just get sick. Or people at work, like, oh, I think it's just calling sick. It'd be nice if I was sick so I don't have to go to work. And I'm just thinking about, I'm like, this is, no. Like, yeah. it's being sick sucks. Yeah, you can't do anything else yeah. and enjoy it. Yeah, like, you have to be like the very minimal sick to feel like you can accomplish anything or enjoy anything. I just sit at home and just lay on a couch and not move. And it's just like, I could watch something. And I'm just like, I can't work that hard for the remote. I'm just going to lay down and close my eyes. And it's like, I'm going to sit up and maybe play a game or read a book. And they're just like, nope, I'm going to vomit. Like, oh, I'm just going to lay back down. It's not, it's not that old uh, coronavirus, is it? Oh, no. <laughs> Thank God. No, I think it's just all, like, I mean, I work in a Petri dish all the time. <laughs> and it's just not, ugh. Anyways, I'll... Keep the sniffling on minimum. I'm on a bunch of Dayquil and other <laughs> yummy cough drops and, you know, a good amount of sleep. Uh, but, you know, I've already said dog shit. And if dog shit isn't a good enough indicator, we're going to make sure that there's an explicit content warning as well as a spoiler warning <laughs> as we uh, talk about our book for this episode, which I picked out, which is X-Men God Loves, Man Kills. Uh, this book was done by Chris Claremont. Uh, art was by Brett Anderson, uh, color Steve Olaf, letters by Tom Orzakowski. Uh, yeah, I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, I picked this book for main reason is I listened to a podcast called Mutant Musings Podcast. If you're not already subscribed to them or following them, please do because they are fantastic. Uh, John and Patty from New Jersey, uh, they cover every other Wednesday they cover new X-Men books that come out uh, a couple titles each and then they also pick something older uh, some of their favorites so a couple weeks back they did X-Men God Loves Man Kills which I didn't really know about and which I'm ashamed to say because I worked here for a while and (laughs) I must have looked it over a dozen times and just didn't even think about it and I really loved their episode it was really good they talked about how relevant it still maintains uh, today with its themes and stuff which I was like okay you've got my You've got my interest, so I picked it up and was flipping through it, and I like read the introduction by Claremont, which was really interesting, and I read that right actually before we did our last episode, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it right away, but then as we were going through that recording, I thought about it more and more. I was like, let's do it, and yeah. oh my god, so good. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad you, you picked this, because 
I think this is like the third time I've read it since really it came, since it came out and I always and somehow I always forget how good it is um, and yeah unfortunately it is still very relevant even more relevant in the era of Trump yeah um, oh my gosh uh, so yeah we're gonna talk about this one uh, fun things I learned about it because uh, I'll talk a little bit about I read the kind of interviews in the end with Claremont about this book uh, I found out that it got a, or the X-Men 2 movie got a lot of inspiration from this yeah. and once they brought that up in this I, to, I I realized I was like oh my god I did not think about that <laughs> uh, yeah like the whole the whole thing with it which once we go through this you'll if you've already seen X-Men 2 you'll know the theme and then it also reminded me of something else that came up more recent in X-Men Gold uh, so this was done by Brent Anderson who wasn't supposed to be the original artist either it's no. supposed to be Neil Adams yeah, and uh, the interview in the back talks about that a little bit, and he uh, made it a couple weeks, but wasn't happy with their work made for hire contract they were trying to make him do, which was part of the reason he left DC for a while on strike. Yeah. So yeah. he left, and Brent Anderson in this uh, talks about how he was wanting to drop down to one shot issues because he was struggling to do Kazar. Yeah, at the time he's like, oh, I just need a break, and they're like, Oh, you no, know, you want to do an X Men book? He's like, Oh, okay. Uh, and then I also just realized, so this isn't in continuity, uh, Goggles no. Man Kills. It's it's basically like if this was published nowadays, well, if it was published nowadays at DC, it would be a black label book. <laughs> yeah, it, that's what they made it sound like, a graphic novel, and they were talking about like they were just going for it because it was just, just everything was like upswing from the like comics decline. Like they were just trying a lot of things, yeah, like was, writing things like it was their last. Yeah, it was 1982. This was originally published as Marvel graphic novel number five because Marvel has started doing a, like a sporadic series of graphic novels. Like the very first one was the death of Captain Marvel um, when they actually killed him like for good of cancer and it was very serious. So it's like, oh, wow, yeah. this graphic, these line of graphic novels are really cool and different. Yeah, I, I think it's great. Uh, so, you know, I would have loved if Colton could have been here. Uh, any minute he's going to come through that door? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would have loved him to have been able to pick up this one because uh, he would have, I mean, the messages and the themes in this he would have really been about. So, yeah, we're going to break down the story. Uh, it opens up with uh, south side of Connecticut or inside Connecticut, Westport, Connecticut. Uh, it's dark, and there are two kids running, a uh, brother and a sister, as they're running through a playground. Uh, the brother gets shot in the back. And you are introduced to the purifiers who uh, are just looming over these kids who are, you know, saying, who are you? What do you want? Uh, and they say, we are purifiers by now. Young man, our intentions should be obvious. And they shoot the kid as his eyes start glowing because uh, he yells out that they killed his parents. And the girl looks up and asks why, and they shoot her too. Uh, just yeah it was what a like heavy moment right off the bat because they also take these kids and hang them from the swing sets and label them mutie to which Magneto discovers and it was just yeah that threw me off especially in the 80s because yeah like you said like this would be considered a black label book I would not have expected this back in the 80s like it was a really really intense moment yeah and I think it was 82 though I didn't read this until I remember when I was in community college, I read my roommate Steve's copy of it, mm -hmm. but that wasn't until like '92 or no, no, late '80s, I guess it was. Yeah, so I didn't read this 
in 82 either, but yeah, pretty, pretty shocking. Yeah. So yeah, Magneto is not happy with this. Uh, he's pissed and you know, he vows to make whoever did this pay, uh, to which we can then get a cut over to, uh, the Stryker building headquarters. So this was the only, this, so this is where Stryker originated like yeah. for anything yeah. else. He was introduced in this story. And apparently was never supposed to be used again. Again, yeah. yeah. Was he used? Because so obviously he was used in X X two. Yeah. Uh, was he used in comics again? Because I don't really, I don't think remember. I've ever I ran into him. I, I I don't remember if he was. I know there was references to him, and 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 I I forgot to look this up, but I think this story helped inspire the creation of the um uh the mutant registration act in X-Men, yeah. which is later where the superhero registration act was based on that led to civil war mm. so this has kind of seeds of all sorts of stuff in it i yeah it's so interesting that a book that was meant to be outside of the continuity had such a heavy <laughs> impact within and throughout it still yeah. even in like pop culture with the movies so we yeah we've got william striker he is quoting some some of the bible uh he ends with a part that says, and thou shalt stone them with stones till they die. So not the best quote to be pulling <laughs> from the Bible. He's, and, yeah, he's very uh, Old Testament. Yeah. And that, like, right away, like, I mean, it's like I knew what I was getting when I heard Mutant Musings talking about it. And then when I finally picked it up and read it, I was just like, oh, here we go. You, This is, I don't know what I was expecting other than this. Uh, so we find out he's getting briefed on the X-Men and kind of, Give, and it's, I mean, great for the readers because it gives a quick, you know, rundown of all the characters and what they can do. I didn't know. Uh, so we it features Cyclops, Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, uh, Nightcrawler, and Ariel. Yeah. Which is Kitty Pride. I didn't know she – did she ever go by Ariel in continuity? Yeah, there was a thing in her – when she was first introduced, there was like a running thing that she couldn't decide on a name or a costume. Okay. Because she I, – I forget how – I mean – she was Ariel for a little while. She was Shadowcat for a while. Yeah, I remember Shadowcat. I mean, Shadowcat that, that probably lasted with the longest. The longest, yeah. 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 Um, R.I.P. I think R.I.P. she Shadow might have been called Phase for a little bit. I don't know. She had a whole. She came up with a whole bunch she of different names. She once had a costume that was all just like very eighties, multicolored I think rainbows. I, I remember and stuff seeing and that. Like skates. A fun fact. That's roller skates. <laughs> I think they had roller skates. Yeah. So, oh man, R.I.P. Kitty Pride. That's so sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> spoilers for another comic. Uh, so he's getting briefed on all of them and basically, you know, giving us the what to expect by saying, you know, pretty soon they won't be uh, around much longer. And we cut to Kitty Pride in the middle of a fight with some guy who yeah. some nobody. But, uh, yeah, she's in the middle of a fight, takes a lick, uh, getting distracted and turns out she got in a fight with this guy because he supports the strikers uh, sorry the the striker crusade yeah the striker crusade and uh, it's and it's interesting that claremont set this stuff in like it's out of continuity but it's also using the characters from the current x main books of that time because she's at a i think she's at a dance school that stevie hunter who was a supporting character an X-Men then. I was definitely going to um, ask you who that character was. Because... And, and Alana Rasputin is there. Yeah. But this is before she goes to Yeah, later on limbo, she's hell? taken to Limbo and Belasco like, gives her her magic powers okay. and all that. But this is before any of that happens. Okay. So she's just, I think she, at this point she's just a, a normal teenager. I don't even know if she's, if she's a mutant, I don't know what her powers are. Ileana's? Yeah. I still don't even know, like, 
I understand that she can make portals and she has the sword and everything, but as far as I knew, that was all magic based. Yeah, I think, based, I think so. But she's considered a mutant, but I've never really understood what her power is. Yeah, and I, I thought need that to look she that also up. I thought she didn't come out as a teenager. She was actually a a really small girl and then went to limbo and came back oh, right. like a teenager. Yeah. So this one so I guess it's like they use the character, but who knows where it is out of continuity. Actually no, because they talk about her not being fully human or mutant in here later on. Oh, so maybe she's been to limbo and stuff, but she doesn't doesn't have the sword and everything. She's yet. just hanging out. I forget when all that happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very confusing character, but really popular. I'm excited to see her uh, yeah. new mutants movie. And sure. something I think is interesting that I kind of miss about them doing in X Men is that they used to do. You know, Claremont used to bring up stuff like Kitty is, is Jewish, Jewish, and everything. And yeah, they'd got... work that into stories and her beliefs. You know, like Nightcrawler's beliefs and Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And they they talk about that at the uh, during this interview with Claremont. The yeah. you know how and how later on when Xavier talks about how we're not like a set group, like we all have different values and beliefs and different things. Because you've got like her, who's a very devout Catholic. Kitty's Jewish. The Rasputins, who are basically atheists from being like living in Soviet Russia. So it's like a very diverse group of people already, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, though it was a little awkward and cringy for what Kitty says to Stevie Hunter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because after you know she's having a fight with this 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 guy, this teenager over like his beliefs mm-hmm. um and, and kitty comes right out and says you know i don't think she says she's a mutant but colossus shows up to break up their fight yeah and i thought that it implied that she was a mutant or showed the, the guy knew that she was a mutant because it looked like they came out fighting phasing or is that just through an open door yeah that yeah, was, was just through, through a, yeah through a door i don't know if he actually knows okay. she is yeah because but... iliana's whispering to get a hold of herself oh, yeah, she's phasing not... yeah because kitty's you know really mad because of this this prejudice and all this kind of thing and yeah there is and i i think it's interesting that people's reactions to this because i thought this felt very real to me because kitty stevie hunter is african-american and yeah and, and she's kitty's teacher and a mentor and she's trying to get kitty to calm down and kitty's really angry and emotional and she's you know she's like 14 or 15 somewhere around there mm-hmm. and kitty asked her how can you be so I'll be so calm. Didn't you hear what he said? And Steve Hunter says, they're only words, child. And Kitty's reply is, suppose he called me a N-word lover, yeah. Stevie. Would you be so damn tolerant then? And then she runs away. Whew. Yeah, and I know. And to, to me, I thought that felt somebody Kitty's age in that situation and feeling how she is. And, you know, she's a woman and a mutant and Jewish. She's probably experienced some prejudice. Um, I thought that felt... Yeah, it's very awkward and it's hurtful, very but it's hurtful, also yeah. very real, I thought. Yeah, I'm trying to find – I'll have to circle back to it as we get towards the end, but that was something that I knew from the musings. And for me, I was like, that, yeah, that's real rough for you know a, a white writer to use that language and just let that get through. Um, but like, I don't disagree with your, what you're saying, and uh, that's what I'll circle back to is because in this interview, Chris talks about that. And yeah. They question him on that and his thing. And it's not like I don't disagree. I can understand to a point because you're trying to get that message. And like you're saying, it's like it's awkward, it's, but it's powerful. And like it was very relevant. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's just so hard to see every time. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, how that, I mean, I think even from 82 to now, 
nowadays it's even more forbidden to use that word. Oh yeah, I, I used to hear it in school when I was a kid, but and you know really? it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as it is now. I mean, <laughs> uh, at least for at least for you know. Yeah, yeah, I heard it a lot in my school, yeah. even though there was no, there were no black students in our school people said it a lot and i'm just like Ugh. yeah i don't know. i should be like i was told that was a bad word but people <laughs> would still say it a lot yeah uh, yeah not the best and, politically or you yeah. know socially aware and i like the other with. characters reactions to it um how they're all i mean peter like tries to say she, you know she isn't kitty did not mean, and he kind of just trailed off because he doesn't know what to say. Yeah, and Stevie Hunter's her own internal monologue about it is it, good too. Yeah, that was that was I really appreciated that part. It was like powerful. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like I would hope that there was a. It probably wasn't back in the eighties. Like they just did it, but you know, with a lot of things where you're working with a different uh, population and different demographic like some sensitivity testing <laughs> on different things to make sure that that is appropriate and right to that meet that demographic. Probably not in this, but like I, I still thought that was a good moment with Stevie at the end with her shift fist shaking and the tear. Yeah. It was a really good moment. Uh, so they returned back to the manor. So one thing I didn't really under knew, know Kitty could do uh, until actually just recently in the X-Men Fantastic Four crossover. And then in this was that she could fly technically. Um, she can phase enough to be like walk on air. Yeah, and it's kind of like the vision has always done, where she makes herself intangible, and then because she doesn't weigh anything, then she's able to float. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, yeah in uh, Excalibur, she was like floating at one point. I yeah. didn't know that she could do that, and I'm surprised whenever I see her that she doesn't do that more often. Yeah, they don't, have, and they used to. She used to do it a lot back back in the '80s, and I don't know why they quit having her do that so much what a waste it's yeah. really interesting so they get back and uh they all gather around the tv with some popcorn to watch xavier who coincidentally is having a discussion on live television with william Stryker, who you know you know xavier gives his point he's you know mr cheever the person that's hosting he's like mutants per se are not a monolithic group possessing one set of attitudes or goals like you and I talked about like they have different religions and different beliefs and values uh, they are individuals as we all are and should be judged as such and then kind of the most bullshit like thing that also feels super relevant is mm -hmm. just not even having like not even sticking to the same thing like listening to the other person like Oh, like what? Like okay, so you're saying you have different things. No, instead quotes like just like oh no to quote like this other person. You're dangerous and like, all these things like, and you're like you're all the singular things. Just like oh my god, are you not listening? Yeah, it's all that fear mongering. <laughs> yeah, um, it just turns into fear mongering. They talk about how yeah, striker like how they you know. Yeah, he, some of our administration talks about immigrants nowadays. And... Yeah, he knows the media, which somebody uh, that <laughs> is in charge yeah. of us right now knows the media as well. So knows how to how to you know direct it and how to filter it. And we see in this a lot of Charles's responses are cut off, yeah, or not shown, and it's just featuring Stryker. Even the people in the behind the scenes at the station are like, oh yeah, yeah, I don't like, like his audience, but he's 
Yeah, comes across as such a nice, personable guy. Yeah, and they're like, oh, Xavier's making like a convincing case. Like, yeah, but who's listening? Stryker knows television. He's playing to the audience, like yeah. playing off their fears, which is so much easier. And even Scott says that up ahead. Yeah, Scotty, Scotty says even physically that Charles looks so grim and foreboding, almost scary. Yeah. <laughs> With those eyebrows and everything. Yeah. And like me, Musing said, like, and, you know, same thing that we'll point, we'll point out, too, is the fact that, yeah, he says, you know, uh, where is it? Uh, Scott says, where my faults? I'm already missing it. Uh, Charlie looks so grim, foreboding. So, oh, Charles was speaking to people's ideals, striking to their fears. Yeah. Mm, and yeah. it's totally like true. And we're seeing that right now with like our campaigns. It's so much easier to get a response and get people behind things that prov- that they think scare them. Like, cause they want to prevent those things that might be scary to them, and it's just awful. And it's such an effective method. <laughs> oh, it's so gross. That's why I wish Colton was here because he is. could he could, uh, he could get the words better than I can. It is, and it's and it's still used so effectively, and people fall for it. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, do we ever learn? Apparently not, because this was talked about in the '80s, and it's well past that. <laughs> We're yeah. still doing it. Yeah, and of course it harkens back to you know throughout history. The, and it's just getting the Nazis, more, the Armenian yeah. genocide. You know, you more complicated it. now with the like the in, integration of social media and all these groups and like chat rooms and forums. It's just so much more, and I like yeah, just hate for it to get to another like a tipping point in the wrong direction. But yeah. for now. The uh, X Men are going to go into the danger room. Yeah, work I, off, let off some steam after off watching steam. that. I really liked this danger room setup. <laughs> I love how I just love the panel is showing, like the arrows, like literally explaining what they have to do. It's like, oh, Kurt, you have to move this big thing. Uh, Wolverine, you have to get out of that cage without cutting it. Uh, Kitty, you have to protect the people. And Colossus, you got to fight a robot. I'm like, okay, but. I was super excited to see how they came up with getting around this because you see Wolverine start going, okay, like I can't punch my way out. I guess I'm going to have to try to pick the lock. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait to see how they all, you know, solve their dilemmas. I love how their the abilities. artist drew that too, this panel of Wolverine. With like his tongue uh, sticking yeah, out. Yeah, he's got his little tongue sticking <laughs> so out. So <laughs> good. Uh, but That's then, something I miss from old X-Men comics. Mm-hmm. They used to all the time show them in the danger room, like trying to figure out things like this doing exercises and mm-hmm. I feel like they don't do that anymore. No, but did you read the most recent Wolverine comic? Mm, wait, the double size? Yeah, the Ben Percy, the Ben yeah. Percy one. Yeah. We kind of got a new danger room Wolverine oh, explains. Krakoa right. yeah. is the danger room. <laughs> yeah. And I like that idea. I and it also oh, that just makes me think too. I'm going to miss the mud room from Detective Comics and <laughs> Batman Rebirth. Oh yeah. Clayface, because they did that in the signal. I'm like, that's so cool. It's literally Danger Room made from Clayface. That was cool. Yeah, I I think it. Yeah, this was really fun. I was like really interested. I thought they were gonna really go into this a little bit more because like Kurt couldn't fa- teleport the big block. Kitty was having trouble doing her thing. Night yeah, Hunters. I was like, oh man, how are they gonna solve these? But then just like, let's just break the rules and not do our assigned tasks, and then just do each other's. So they all just do the opposite. And I'm like, well, I guess that works too. Yeah, I love the fact that Wolverine like figured out well i just was told i couldn't cut the cage yeah i could cut, cut the chain holding the whole thing up <laughs> yeah <laughs> gave up on the pickpocketing uh so meanwhile while they're completing that training uh scott storm and professor x are driving back to the mansion when finally professor x's 
psychic powers finally kick in and let them know that they're about to get got as they get shot and blown up, seemingly killed as the police call and tell the X-Men at the mansion that they're dead. So everybody's, you know, real beat up about that. We cut to Kitty hanging out. This was pretty shocking, too. I mean, Scott apparently gets shot in the head. and then, Yeah. And then Storm gets shot. And then there's an explosion. And then they get hit with a freaking missile. rocket launch. Yeah, <laughs> overkill. Yeah, I thought. I think what was interesting was the bullet thing was because you never really saw the bullet or the impact thing. It just says kapow. Yeah. That happened at the very beginning too. Not that I want to, but <laughs> it's just very you know very neutral on that and in, in showing the art style for it. Uh, like it, it there was blood, but it wasn't bloody. Yeah. Which yeah. you know. They were, they were pushing it back then, as it oh. says in this interview. Like, they were already yeah. pushing the limit with some of it. So, this is also back, back when uh, t- twice already we've seen Wolverine lighten up a big old cigar, cigar. Yeah. Inside, okay. inside the mansion. Pulls it out of his crotch, too. <laughs> this is back when you, they could show that in comics. <laughs> now they just got him drinking more, yeah. more whiskey. <laughs> uh, so, we've got Kitty mourning up on a hill, and Ileana comes and tries to comfort her. Um, they have this little touching moment, and I, I love how fast this mourning process goes for Kitty, though, because all Ileana has to do is bring up Colossus, like, "Oh, you like my brother, right?" She's like, "Oh," like blushing. <laughs> I'm like, "Wait, aren't you mourning the death of your friends and <laughs> yeah. mentor?" And then they're, and then it's like, yeah, you know, "Okay, hormones. that." <laughs> yeah, I guess that shifted pretty fast. It's like, "Oh yeah, I actually found something." <laughs> It could be dangerous. I'm like, oh, that, that sh- you should have really buried the lead there. Yeah, yeah. This 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 big monitoring device camouflaged. <laughs> so they uh, hang out and try to do a stakeout to see who did it, while Wolverine, Colossus, and Nightcrawler go to the scene of the crime where uh, their friends were murdered. And Wolverine exclaims that it, it's a it's a cover up. They're not they're these aren't their bodies. Like it was made to look like they're dead. And they realize that uh, purifiers are there. So. They decide to go say hello to the purifiers themselves with Colossus just extremely, like, going hard at this car, like, rips the engine complete out. (laughs) That was a great Colossus Yeah, I love the panel after with his smile. He's like, either I'm getting stronger, comrades, or my automobiles are not as dirty and powerful they used to be. And uh, it turns out that there's some purifiers and some armor suits that were hiding out, so they start attacking but they don't get too far because they get the metal ripped right off of him as magneto makes an entrance and surprises all of them because he is here as a friend this time and if we'll have him an ally yeah and and i think claremont claremont mentions in that interview in the back that uh at this point i mean they've been dropping hints for like 50 issues that magneto was getting being a little more mellow and calming down and slowly like maybe there wasn't quite the villain he'd always been painted up to this time and yeah. this is, but this is the first time he'd really i like like came together with the x-men i like good guy magneto i do too i liked him when he like right towards like the end of adventures of x-men and stuff when he was like starting to help out more because i know he even did like new mutant stuff he was a professor but I didn't get into comics or I wasn't doing comics at the time and I'm still catching up on older stuff. But the most recent mm-hmm. stuff I knew about was the events of Avengers vs. X-Men following like Cyclops being more radical. And like during all that time, even Magneto was like, whoa, like you're a little bit more me than I want to be. Like <laughs> tone it down yeah. a little bit. Remember what Charles would want? I'm like, oh, I love this. Like he loves Charles. <laughs> now it's kind of more of he's back to being Magneto that I know. 
from like the old X-Men show, but not at the same time. Like he's definitely that Magneto because he can be because everybody else is on that same page now, but they still have that no killing rule, which is also kind of an asterisk, like no killing, <laughs> wink, wink. I <laughs> 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 love like that rule soon came up and then X-Force 1 came out just like, <laughs> what rule? <laughs> like, oh man, we didn't get that memo. Like, are we, is that final draft? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's here to help them. And we cut whack away to Kitty and Ilyana. Finally see some people coming up. So Kitty decides to scope it out. And Ilyana was just like, I want to go. And she decides to say, wait a little bit longer and gets Ilyana captured. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe she just leaves her there. <laughs> yeah, and then she's like, oh, man, thank thank God, thank God. I was so scared. At least she's okay. I'm like, you're the one that got her captured. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, that's your fault. So then they, she tries to sneak in the car, and they immediately nerve gas her. Yeah, they immediately the tr- sensors let let them know that she's in the car. Like, oh man, they had that car built and ready for her. Uh, and then we cut back to Wolverine trying to interrogate the men in their <laughs> metal cocoons, as he does the old like one claw, two claw, get ready for claw number three. Yeah, on the sides of the face. I wonder how he. I wonder where he first did that. Yeah, very very interesting. Good, good torture method, but uh, Magneto has a better method as it looks like he just strips him naked. <laughs> yeah, and they don't really say what, what he does. Exactly, Magneto does. It, it, also, yeah, you... it also looks like he's got, like, claws on his fingers in this panel as, like, Magneto's, like, stripping the metal off of him. Oh, these uh, weird the, tubes the, the on his fingers? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that, yeah. I They're, like, rings with long part of, the, part of the metal gauntlets coming off. Yeah. But, yeah, they don't say in here if Magneto's... What like, they do because like, like manipulating the iron and the body because he's done that before. Yeah, it is to, to make these guys float. Yeah, it was very vague on that, and then everybody else was like, "Was that necessary?" Like, oh man, like that was pretty intense. I'm like, "Well, what happened?" <laughs> I just saw him holding up a dude <laughs> with some with some coloring going around. Uh, meanwhile, it gets real religious uh, in context when we cut to see what's been going on with Professor Xavier as he's strapped to a cross. Yeah, he's been crucified. Yeah. Oh my god. The X-Men are all around him, but they they're all demonic. Yeah, evil looking. They're all doing different things. Like Nightcrawler teleports and bites him. Kitty pulls out his heart. Wolverine cuts him up. Storm electrocutes him and then Cyclops says some stuff like, "Oh, we're like we lived and fought for you. You gave us nothing but death and disorder." And then he like shoots out black fog, like toxic miasma at him like an enveloping them. And then we get this very, like a beam of light shoots down, like a savior's come and it's trying to offer Xavier's hand. And we find out that this is all like a simulation. Xavier's in a tube with a helmet on, like being fed these simulations. They're trying to get him to crack and like yes. agree to this. Cause they want to use him as a weapon. Yeah. I thought that was good. I mean, sensory deprivation with, with, drugs and physical stimulus and, and electrodes on all this mind washing procedures yeah and they've for 15 got 15 hours yeah and they've got storm and cyclops they're both okay and alive and they're in these weird pod things and any like any pain that's inflicted to them gets transmitted to xavier who thinks they're inflicting pain on him mm-hmm. so it's all just messing with him and gaslighting him to you know think that like they're evil um and we get some of striker's backstory so get that that military background. Uh, I can't even remember. So my, so they were heading South to visit family in Phoenix. And then he 
yeah, on an open road. I love that music comes because uh, Patty and it's just like an idiot that doesn't know how to drive. Yeah, it's open road. Yeah, I don't like, understand. <laughs> he just crashes his car. Yeah, he cra- I don't know. I don't understand why he crashes. And that panel's weird because it it almost looks like the uh, speed limit sign has been like thrust through the bottom of the car. Yeah. But for some reason, he crashes. Crashes, <laughs> and his wife is giving birth to a monster, he describes it. And you don't even see it, uh, but it's enough. It terrifies him enough that he ends up pulling out a knife and killing this just newborn child. And when his wife asks to see the baby, he ends up snapping her neck in, I don't know, grief? Because grief, then he decides to... Put them back in the car with himself, and then he tries to yeah, kill himself to, to kill with kill himself them. with them. And then because yeah, he says face with that abomination. I did what had to be done. So you know, he's a guy that even though it's his his newborn child, he, he thinks it's a monster, and he thinks he has to do this, but he feels bad about it, so he's gonna kill himself with them. And then he somehow survives the explosion, and uh, eventually, you know takes into heavy drinking, gets into fights, gets discharged. And soon after that, he finds religion as his answer. And he self-styles himself as like the savior against mutants. He learns what mutants are and thinks this is, that's what this child was that was born. And like these things should not exist. And that's where he, you know, goes down this path of taking, you know, this religion that, which is like a, like the worst aspect of like these religions is like you know and that we deal with he calls the crusade it's like my religion my way or like the highway kind of thing like get in line with it like this is the way and he you know feels so strongly about this but then takes it into this extreme yeah like path and like you know in his it obviously in his mind he sees what he's doing is like the right path yeah yeah i thought that was good characterization of him that you know he doesn't think he's a monster. He, I mean, no. he thinks, and he thinks because he survived that that was God's will. Yeah. Which, oh. um, so, <laughs> so that he absolves himself in his thinking. Th- I mean, he even says the evil, the sin, was mar- was his wife's, not mine. Yeah. Even though he's the one that committed oh, murder gosh. twice. And it's like, <laughs> and yeah, Claremont talks about that. It's like in in some most people's ways and in Stryker's way, like like they're on this path that isn't inherently bad, but like the way they choose these things becomes bad. And I'm like, I can see that, understand that, but just like hearing him say like things at the end where it's just like, Oh, like to deviate from the path of like what we are in any way is like a sin. I'm like, Oh gosh, that just like every, every fiber of my being is like, no, no, I I can't, I can't rationalize that. It's so tough. But then at the same time, it's like probably for people that, you know, are on that kind of side. Like we, we try to say the same thing of, from our side of what, you know, we know is good and, you know, fundamentally right. But they, it's just like, it can't rationalize. And, you know, I'm thankful <laughs> that I can, I'm not, you know, uh, a striker, but gosh, yeah. it's just so rough. You know, there's, I know since one panel or shows striker on TV on his crusade. Um, I don't know if Brent Anderson, the artist did this on purpose or mm-hmm. if it was a coincidence, but um, the, the cross in a circle symbol he, he has for the William Stryker crusade. Uh-huh. It's interesting that that's also what they call a sun wheel in like ancient Norse and Viking symbols. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't know if it happened after this story or before this story, but some of the neo-Nazi groups use that same sun wheel symbol oh. for the, some of their symbiology. Oh. No. So yeah, and I, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't look up the history of the neo-Nazi usage of it. But I was like, oh, well, that's interesting because there it is. I don't know why, but the following panel right next to that of him talking with his like thought bubble, that drawing of him feels like such a Hanna Barbera looking character. <laughs> it does. Like, from, like, like C Lab. Or, yeah, yeah. Like, it looks like the dad, the uh, guy from Future Quest. Yeah, yeah, Johnny Quest, that guy. Yeah, Johnny Quest. Dad. It looks just like it. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, you know, he's he's got a wow. plan. Yeah, this his speech about he became convinced Charles Xavier was the Antichrist. Oh, oh geez, my God. Yeah. Break. So he explains like, oh, there's a reason why I haven't killed you yet. And you'll see why. Uh, meanwhile, we cut back to Kitty, who, you know, was hiding in the trunk of the car, uh, but managed to escape before they shoot shoot it uh, all to hell as they try to track her down. So she's, you know, partially you know, paralyzed from the nerves of gas and is trying to escape. And she stumbles across like, I don't know, some gang, some group. Yeah. Some guys. I don't know what neighbor. I thought this was a reference to like the sugar Hill gang or like, that's funny. So because first I thought because of the guy on the end here with the hat and the vest, he looks like, um, all a character that was on, uh, welcome back Cotter. (coughs) I think like the people that did like the YMCA song. But yeah. And I forget, Warriors, I don't, yeah, <laughs> come out and play. And I forget, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with New York City and the boroughs, but mm-hmm. like the artist in the back talks about how he tried to get like the look of certain neighborhoods in New York to get that correct when Kitty's and he mentions when Kitty's running through this area, I forget where it is. But and I apparently, you know, somebody wrote in or talked to him at a con and said, you know, that those guys, I knew guys like that growing up, and that's that looks so realistic to me, crazy. So, like, she stumbles across them, uh, gets a little, little weird. I don't know. Yeah, they're they're, they're threatened to do some bad things. To yeah. Her. Uh, man, the eighties. Man, well, it still happens Damn in it. comics and some yeah. some writers, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, they give enough time for her to get a distraction because uh, one of the purifiers and who's been tracking her down. Stumbles across them and they get into a shootout with her, uh, six v was it six to one and you don't see it all happen. But after she takes out the one, it cuts away to she's a, she's slightly injured but took out the other six guys while Kitty escaped. Uh, she ends up trying to call for help from the other X Men, but they're still hot on her trail. She ends up getting in a train. The purifiers are able to get to the train, which I don't even know how they pulled that off because the train was already way past. She had to, like, fly to get to it, and they bust into the roof, Superman style. Yeah, I don't know how, yeah. how exactly that happened. Yeah, and they shoot a cop, um, and right before they shoot her, Magneto shows up and takes them out completely and, like, takes their guns, twists them around. The rest of the X-Men show up to save the day. Magneto pulls the bullet out of the cop, and they flying carpet out with the cop to get him some medical attention uh, as they're heading off to go find Charles and the rest. And meanwhile, Charles is finally caving into Stryker's offer to join him, and he just brain blasts Cyclops and Storm, seemingly killing them, and his face is just so like disturbing after doing it. Yeah, and, uh, all, and all of this is interspersed with Stryker 
quoting the right yeah the appropriate uh, biblical biblical passages all the biblical passages uh yeah his face after he does it too <laughs> you see them dead it's like the smile like he's yeah. like feels like this relief like feels like he's being saved he's just being used as a weapon so they've modified a cerebro which yeah when I was like oh just like x2 hmm. which is what they did so <laughs> yeah. now I'm like now I want to watch x2 again so yeah, I guess he got a lot of like they got a lot of inspiration from this in ways. Yeah. I also, which we'll come up to coming up. Uh, so Nightcrawler and the rest of them kidnap the doctor that helped you know brainwash Professor X, while everybody else goes <laughs> and rescues the dead bodies of Cyclops and Storm as well as rescued yeah. Ileana because yeah she got captured. If, if people forgot, this was, I, I forgot for a bit. <laughs> this was a sequence that I, I'm, I'm still torn about because when Nightcrawler's interrogating, um, is it Stryker? No, it's not Stryker. No, it's, it's, the, it's the Doctor oh, uh, Jerry or whatever his yeah, name is. Yeah, it's the Doctor. Just because Nightcrawler, you know, Nightcrawler's hanging upside down and grabs this guy with his tail, with his tail by wrapping around the guy's neck mm-hmm. and lifts him off the ground, which I'm like, okay, sometimes Nightcrawler has super strength in his tail, I guess, but. It's funny because the guy is like all his weight is supported on his neck now, and he's still like having a conversation with Nightcrawler. It's like, wait, he should be like choking to death. <laughs> yeah, but I do like the way it's drawn and the sequence. It's of a really cool sequence. Nightcrawler scary. I didn't him. know he could stick to walls. I didn't know that yeah. was a thing. Yeah, he's a, he's Marvel's like second most famous wall crawler. Though I don't, I feel like he doesn't do that as much as he used to either. Yeah, I, I, I knew he like. I mean, I've seen him on walls and stuff, but I didn't know it was like a thing that he could stick to. Especially like this, where he's sticking by the heel of his foot or the ball yeah. of his foot, which is one. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, it was a really cool scene, like very, very terrifying, but good nonetheless. Uh, so we get Magneto shows up and lifts the elevator that has uh, everybody that they need to rescue, along with the purifier and who manages to jump. And get out just in time uh, as yeah, they Anne's, rescue there. Anne's pretty resourceful. She's resourceful She's and yeah, and just deadly. A, <laughs> a, a deadly, yeah, deadly, unstoppable force for the purifiers. You know, MVP. Hate to lose her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> meanwhile, everybody gets rescued on another rooftop, and Magneto uh, ends up zapping Storm yeah. and Cyclops back to life because like Wolverine th- says, "Oh, they're not dead." Yeah, I like the fact that Wolverine. Like this is the second time people thought to be dead. Wolverine's like, no, wait, I can, I can sense that they're not. I smell them. <laughs> yeah. mm, I can smell that musk. Yeah, it's Wolverine, still strong coming yeah, off. If Cyclops. Wolverine hadn't been there, I mean, either time, what, what would have happened to these people? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be funny. So then we are chapter four, which is now at a was this like a summit? Uh, I forgot what they call this. Uh, reporting from New York's famous Madison Square Garden, where oh, right. the Our Reverend William Strike will give what is being heralded as the most significant ceremony of his mystery. Okay, so it's a sermon. Uh, so yeah, right before we get there, Magneto does a great speech. Oh yeah, but yeah. We won't get into that, but it is a it's a great it's a great speech. And just, then at this big televised sermon, he dominates this book with like his speeches yeah. and like you know his you know his experiences. Yeah. Like he talks about you know being put through camps and watching people die because of people like Stryker. Like Magneto is definitely the hero of this yeah. book. I've, I've seen some complaints over the years that people were calling, well, it's not really an X-Men story. It's like, well, no, it's not. It's a Magneto story. It's a Stryker story. And it's a, overall it's a story about yeah. prejudice and the stuff that X-Men has always been about, about, about the other being, being destroyed mm-hmm. by the ruling class. 
So we've got Xavier set up in the new or their makeshift Cerebro thing, which is going to attack like anybody with the mutant gene, uh, with Professor X being the weapon. And shows up to say that, oh, like things aren't going well. He's like, no worries, like my thing's gonna work. So he starts his ceremony, and then you've got some guy like, oh, does the president have any idea what Strecker's saying? Does he support it? It's like, oh, the pre- president's a fair-minded man. He believes the reverend views des- views deserve a hearing. Like, mm, man, yeah. that free speech act. Like, I like, <laughs> yeah, I like that that panel, that dialogue being included because bringing up that free, you know, free speech. Yeah, but. When it's dangerous, speech. when it's dangerous <laughs> and it's being weaponized, is like yeah. there. God, we gotta have better, you know, better control over that. So he ends up activating the cerebro, which starts giving everybody a gnarly headache, and you start seeing it affecting uh, some random citizens out on the street as well, who are being revealed as mutants. So it's just like, oh, like their ears are bleeding. So if your ears are bleeding and you're in pain, that must be in your mutant. So. The X-Men start realizing this and say they need to work fast. Uh, I love when Music brought this up. So I was trying to understand how the panel worked, and then I I took a couple looks to see it. So he lifts the – Magneto shows up, calling out Stryker. He lifts the roof off, which I, I didn't realize that was an outside view at first or that it was being lifted off until oh, – Yeah, right. Yeah, I thought it was just like a, kind of like the – Safeco field and stuff where it's got that outside yeah. view. Yeah. So it took me a minute. I was like, wait, that's not just like a viewing thing. No, it was him taking the roof off. So I love this part where it's just like, we got to get out of your center. He's like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> He's putting the roof back on. Like, that doesn't seem like a dangerous person. Yeah. I like the fact that the senator, just the senator is reasonable. And he's like believing what's in front of his eyes. Yeah, like, yeah, let's give him the benefit of the doubt <laughs> that here. There's a, a funny point putting that out, Trevor. Cause it's like, yeah, nowadays we have stadiums that, that do that. naturally do that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, back then in 82, it's like, what the hell? That's impossible. <laughs> yeah, I got the inspiration for this. Like they designed theirs. Like, let's have a roof, but also have natural openings. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So Stryker, you know, starts quoting the Bible more, like calling, behold, Magneto, most feared and fearsome of the race, self-styled overlord of Earth, like brings up, you know, like, and I beheld another beast and he had two horns like a goat, which, you know, appropriate because he has horns on his helmet. Uh, and he was spoke as a dragon. And he had, you know, Magneto definitely can come across as a dragon sometimes the way he speaks. Uh, so, yeah, he blasts Magneto with Charles's brain beams his cybolts or I guess they're cybolts. Sure. I, I didn't even yeah. know he could do that. I guess he I guess he could just without the laser beam effect that Gene Gray does and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But in this they can see it. So Magneto gets knocked down. He's trying to hold back the angry mob that's, you know, totally eating up Stryker's words. Meanwhile, this senator uh that was, you know, calling out that this is kind of bad that we're allowing this kind of speech is, you know, speaking out against it more. He's like, this is going too far. This is insane. Uh, he also starts bleeding, so hinting that he also might be a mutant. Yeah. Which is like a little touch. Though it was kind of hard for me to tell. Sometimes the coloring, for me at least, uh, with my problem of seeing colors oh, in yeah. areas, like it took, it like the second panel where he says you're bleeding, I could barely tell on one ear there was a little bit of red. Yeah, there's just a little bit. Like tiny, tiny bit. Uh, like I had to really look at that. And I like the fact that um, they made a point, the the creators made a point of uh, showing these cops like on the floor that 
they're they're trying they're just doing their job and they're not they're not giving in to any fear or anything they're just trying to control the crowd yeah i i just love this cops like oh what do you think jeff like i'd rather be at a rangers or the <laughs> island, rangers are playing with the islanders over at guard city i wish i was there like <laughs> yeah that preacher scares me yeah so which is you know very nice to see some cops being you know not eating it up also because you never want that. So Anne comes up and is trying to protect Stryker, and she begins to display oh. symptoms of what all the other mutants are experiencing. Yeah, her, her nose is bleeding. Most messed up way to go. Reverend Stryker, you know, true to his asshole convictions, kills her. He shoves yeah. her off the stage. And, and the whole time saying that, you know, I'm set upon a righteous course, Anne, I'm sorry, but... like. Yeah, like the true I, daughter of heaven would have accepted her fate. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, like thanks for serving me like super well for all this time. Like, but you know, you should just be cool with this. Yeah, bye. Yeah, and he pushes her off the this this stage, big yeah, stage. It's stage. Yeah, it's a huge stage. I mean, it's really high up there. So he pushes her off, and she falls to her. Well, breaks her falls neck. off and breaks her neck. I'm honestly surprised. Right on live TV, which they don't mention that. Later, yeah, they just kind of <laughs> right in front of this entire crowd on show TV. It and just let it go. But I'm kind of surprised that she was able to like jump out of an elevator, flying through the sky at like a 600 foot drop, and not recover from this like mid fall. Like, oh damn! Yeah, that's true. Oh well, <laughs> there, uh, there are some little holes in this. Yeah, in the, in the story. but like it's a powerful moment, like just yeah. to show like where Striker's at. It uh, it does, and actually, this one inner inner panel in a panel shows. I hadn't. I just realized this. That is a close up of her face laying there and it's in a tv screen so the camp some cameraman Saw zoomed it. in and caught that yeah well and i also took that as like the panels too because it's like in the shape of a tv like these mm. marshmallow looking panels showing her falls like you're yeah. seeing that as it's happening like yeah. trying to catch it like yeah i thought that was a really interesting way of like trying to track like that happening yeah that's well done yeah really cool nice job uh so C- cyclops is telling everybody else like we got to get Professor X out of there because he's just going to cause more damage. So they do a little fake out, you know, look one way, but watch for the other way. So Wolverine gets Professor X's attention by looking like he's going to cut him. Uh, Meanwhile, Cyclops just shoots like a random beam that I love. Yeah, the panel sequence for this is really cool. I didn't really see how it like blended so well. I was just looking panel to panel, but Mm -hmm. uh, I've listened to the I was listening to Jonathan Patty talk about this again, and he talked about how he loved the the panel sequence. And now that I see it, how the beam goes from panel to panel, like behind the ones of Wolverine, down between like the white space and everything, and then to the reader, like really cool as he fakes out. So he does this really complicated shot because he talks about how Professor X doesn't have a tactical mind like they do in battle. So he had to play it really, you know, far out. So that he couldn't see that see that coming, so he had to do like all those, yeah, you know, like and have the other two distract him, so he wouldn't like, like accidentally hear th- Scott's thoughts about it. Yeah, I really like how Cyclops is good at knowing, uh, like spatial awareness and like his ability to like do yeah. angles and figure out where to shoot his beams. Yeah, see, that's something I also miss about the old X Men because I don't know, I feel like before the before the nineties, Cyclops mm-hmm. wasn't a jerk. Ever since the '90s, everybody thinks he's a jerk. jerk. (laughs) I mean, definitely he's had jerk moments. Yeah, yeah. a lot of them. (laughs) But he used to be a more likable guy before the '90s. Yeah, I was like thinking about it too because, like, when I started getting into comics more and collecting myself, it was like this whole like, oh, Cyclops is an asshole. I'm like, 
yeah, really shitty, and I did not like how he took out Professor X, even though I was, like, also understanding, like, oh, Dark Phoenix stuff going on. But then his whole radicalism where even Magneto was not comfortable with it at times. Like, yeah, I definitely don't completely side of the Cyclops, but I was blinded by that really cool outfit design that they gave him during Bendis' run. <laughs> Looks so good. I love the X across, yeah. like, the face. Yeah. The fact that his powers are all wonky and, like, his beams would, like, he had like sub beams shooting out and like curving around. Like he could wait, like do wavy beams. I was like, oh, yeah. that's so cool. That was pretty but cool. He was an asshole a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. Even in uh, Rosenberg's run after mm. he, after the whole thing with uh, the first class team finally having to go back in time after all that time and like young Cyclops seeing what he was going to become and trying to be the opposite of it. And then after the extermination event, all their memories still went into their older versions. So even he got his memories back when they did that annual where he brought him back to life before unca that uncanny run. So it's like, oh, he's going to take all those lessons and not be an asshole and selfish and really care about people. But literally that Rosenberg run, he was the worst person <laughs> all the time, like recruiting Dark Beast, like letting everybody die. <laughs> And like I'm gonna re I need to reread that Rosenberg run now that it's done because after listening in like a couple different interviews with him, I have appreciation for it for that more. Also hear about hearing how hard it was for him to write yeah. killing off those characters, which essentially were the X Men and what we have now are the X Men, but not the X Men uh, that we knew so long. But yeah, what an asshole. <laughs> Cyclops. <laughs> like I I'm very curious to see him actually be in more stories and do stuff lately. I mean, that last yeah. was X-Men five. Where they send those three off into like the vault. Oh. Like, how long has it been? It's been like 500 years for them. He's like, God, what have I done? I'm like, what have you done? You asshole. You just put Wolverine <laughs> in there. Not Laura Kinney. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, kind of a jerk. Well, this week's issue X-Men is really good. I'm excited. I'm looking at oh. my stack. I keep glancing lovingly <laughs> over at my stack that I picked up today. And I'm excited. It might be the first one I read. So, uh, Cyclops takes out the Cerebro machine and everybody's like, all right, let's get out of here. And Cyclops is like, no, like it needs to end here because Stryker and like the people like Stryker, are the ones that are going to continue this and keep this going and like it needs to end. So they confront Stryker and call him out on it. And, you know, they. Yeah. Right on stage, actually. Right on stage yeah, and televised. Yeah. There's still cameras running and everything. The audio. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, God, this part where he's like, so, yeah, Cyclops, you're a lucky man. Thanks to you and people like you, mutants live in fear every day of our lives, and sometimes those lives are very short. Less than a week ago, two children in Connecticut were murdered. Stryker, condemned solely for an accident of birth. Would you do that to someone because of the colors of their skin or their beliefs? I do nothing, Cyclops, he says. I'm an instrument of the Lord. And that's like where he's just like... Be like these moments of like these, they believe signs feel like that's the justification to do these crusades and these, these things. It's just awful. And so he justifies that and Cyclops like, you know, counters. It. It's like, what makes your connection to, you know, what makes your link with heaven stronger than mine? And, you know, like exactly like for all these different like religions and like, like life's like, it's hard to you sh to put yourself above somebody else's it, like there shouldn't be it shouldn't be where we're at at this point like we should be more we should be we should be able to acknowledge and accept other people's way of living and way of life you know 
in a healthy way and like yeah, calls well, we, them out on it. Yeah, we should be able to see. <clears throat> well, exactly. We should be able to see that. You know, the key word is they're people. Just just like uh, yeah. just like us. We're all the same race. We're all this, we're all people. So, we're all human beings. So you know. So then Cyclops, though, says this thing where it's just like, for all you know, we could be the human race and the rest of you mutants. Like, well, that mm, kind of, meh. But then Stryker points out uh, Nightcrawler without a tail and says, you dare call that thing human. Yeah. Uh, that's a powerful, and it's funny, too, that's a powerful image. But in the back, when Brent Anderson's talking about how, yeah, and I didn't know this for years. I didn't notice, and nobody apparently did in the editorial team, <laughs> really? that I forgot to draw Nightcrawler's tail <laughs> in that panel. It was just like sticking straight back. You yeah, can see yeah. It. So, <laughs> and that was like a powerful thing for me. And like, I, that was powerful just reading that moment before Kitty even goes and the next page. Like, she yells, that's, yeah. he's more human than you. And that is absolutely true from, I mean, from the time that I've known Nightcrawler and the animated show, from my experiences in any game that I've played with him or any comics that I've experienced with Nightcrawler, he is, you know, the least human looking of the characters, but he is the most human character a lot of the times. Yeah. Like, I'm not a very big religious person myself, but like, oh man, I would hang out with Nightcrawler all the oh, time. Man. Like, what a dude. He I was him. always my favorite X-Man, and I always loved the fact that Claremont had him and Wolverine be like, Especially back in these days, best buddies because they were so different and yeah, like the way the, they complemented each other and everything. And, yeah, and again in this week's issue of X Men, there's some oh, just some fantastic Nightcrawler stuff that's all predicated on his kindness and his just, heart. Watch as I like as like shift to the final page of the book. It just actually opens the first page of X Men Seven. <laughs> <laughs> it just starts breaking down that. So then all of a sudden this happens. Krakoa, right? <laughs> Uh, so, you know, <coughs> Kitty calls him out and defends Nightcrawler, saying he's more human than any of us, like how generous he is. Um, and it's like, I choose him over you any day. So Stryker pulls a gun. Yeah. And she even says, I mean, this is an emotional moment again for Kitty because she even says that, uh, if I have to choose between caring for my friend and believing in your God, like she's my friend. then I choose my friend and she stumbles over the words. Yeah. Because, you know, God is important to her at this point in her life. Yeah. Like... And she's yeah standing in front of all those people and that saying that yeah it's powerful so they all stand by her side as he pulls a gun and you see the trigger go and the gunshot from the letter from letter blam and it turns out he wasn't the one that pulled the trigger as you see some blood on his hand a cop out in the cop out in the crowd by the camera shot him he's like yeah i shot him shut this down like this is messed up I gotta say too, this cop must be an expert marksman to make that shot. <laughs> yeah, I love the because he's pretty far away. He's got the hand on the forearm, yeah, like freaking old school, like cop movie style. Yeah, smoking gun. And it, and it was cool that you know you have it. Yeah, Claremont has a regular human cop, not one of the superheroes, not Magneto. Has a has just a regular guy cop take out the the, the televangelist. Yeah, so he didn't die. We find out. I thought he died right there. Yeah, I did too. But he just got, you know, shot, injured, and they end up, you know, letting him kind of go. And we see in this epilogue that Magneto's coming to talk to the X-Men, and Xavier basically is kind of caving and giving up on his dream. Like, he's yeah. like, maybe Magneto's right. Yeah, like, he feels like he failed because he was manipulated so manipulated, easily. He was used as a weapon. Like, he didn't. he's like, I didn't kill anybody, but I was used to kill people, and that's awful and this is gonna keep going and so magneto's like yeah come come hang out with me like let's do it and it's cyclops who talks him out of it says like you know 
Like, we're not going to give up on your dream. Like, I know it seems tough. Like, we're human too, a different branch, but the same basic attitude can be imposed to have any meaning. Uh, like, you brought us together because of this dream, once poured out of it. Like, it's important. We have to do this right or not at all. Like, and I, that's really important. Like, I know that message might not be the same anymore with the current <laughs> X-Men, but I like it's a powerful one from what I understand because I don't have the most experience in X-Men comics, though I've felt like I've grown up with them my whole life. I didn't realize how much of an asshole Charles was <laughs> for a lot of things, but uh, like at least his message was important and good. And yeah, so Magneto's like, all right, well, if you guys aren't going to hang out with me, uh, like I hope you do it right because if you fail, like it's going to be my turn again. And that's freaking powerful. Like it was a yeah. good Magneto story. Yeah, yeah, because because they re- they re- that characterization hasn't changed where that's always been the conflict and there's so many times that there's been the stories based around well was Magneto right I mean is this Charles's way is it actually working and including the current house powers and dawn of x it's like okay well Charles's way didn't necessarily work yeah <laughs> it's come it's so crazy I like going with that direction so he's got some tears in his eyes of you know happiness for his you know students that are supporting his still want his dream to go we get this moment with yeah Charles was a lot more of an emotional character back in these days yeah cute I mean, he's definitely got no emotions now no it's very <laughs> creepy eerie uh so we get this moment with scott ororo talking out on the balcony uh you know needing and helping caring for one another and from that caring comes love which makes the world go round only that were so and they have this like really weird tender moment so like are they thing in this no, no, it's just they've been I don't know, like, good, good, close friends, but very nothing, close ro- friends. nothing romantic. I mean, it. Th- I thought it was something romantic, and at that point I'm like, Scott Summers, yeah. I like you, I like you, but you do not deserve any of these women, <laughs> yeah. any of them. Yeah, especially the way Brent Anderson drew this when, when Aurora kisses his cheek. Yeah. It's like, oh, that looks God, little... I haven't read the X-Men Giant. Well, I, I'm excited to read the X-Men Giant, but now it's just like after I read this, I'm like, oh, God, I hope that X-Men uh-huh. Giant is all three of these women just stomping on oh, Scott, yeah. putting him in his place. I do love that Aurora's last line, because Scott has that cheesy, like, well, which yeah. makes the world go around. She's like, if only that were so. so. Yeah. Yeah, because it's certainly not. Yeah, what like man, what a story. The thing I didn't talk about, I totally forgot as we were going through it, but that cerebro where it started giving everybody like the migraines and the headaches, like calling out mutants. Uh there was something very similar to this that I thought was a really cool take that they just did not finish exploring in X Men Gold. I don't know if you read that run mm-hmm. at all. They brought a Sentinel back, but like the thing about it was that it was I can't remember if it was organic or it was it was a nano sentinel that basically become full size and it could change its like so it would just for fun, it would like shift between the appearances of Sentinels throughout the years. And then at one point they like, it turned into its nano like little self and the protocols went off to like target all mutants, but like they were having to deal with the fact that the person didn't consider like they want to get rid of mutants, but then it was targeting every single human that had a genetic mutation. Hmm. Even if it wasn't like a superpower, it was just like, Oh, you have like, you know, like blue, one blue, one green eye. Like it was going for any slight genetic mutation. I was like, that is, it was a terrifying story. Like wow. that issue, it was like two issues. It's like, that is, oh boy. <laughs> like, oh, that and like the Cerebro thing, that crazy stuff. Uh, Yeah, wow, this story, like I said, I wish Colton would have been here. We would have really loved it. I, and I read the introduction, which was really cool. 
like hearing Claremont talk about it, like <clears throat> he goes on about like how do you start a story, how do you start an idea, and like you know it could just be the bowl of soup or saying hi to somebody that yeah. spurs these on and talked about like current events at the time, like and they wanted to push they wanted to push things with this graphic novel and just do something different and give it everything and like I think that was really cool that he chose this and he talked about you know he would watch Sunday sermons on TV every Sunday when he was traveling and read the Bible front to back you know which is very interesting because obviously this was not a great light for uh, religion in this book uh, with it being the enemy so it was very very interesting to see Claremont write that yeah and especially at the time Mm -hmm. um and religion isn't any necessarily. It's the these televangelists that started really. I mean, they've been around in the '70s and before, but oh, at really? this time in the '80s, I mean, it's when they really like. Beca- I don't want to say superstars. It's when they really became like, multi, you know, millions of co- people in the congregation, and they're all over TV, and and uh, Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, and just all these gross, <laughs> gross men. Um, bilking people out of their money and 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 uh, yeah, it's made it sound dramatic, but kind of mind controlling people, um, just with their words. Yeah. Uh, speaking of words, so going back to Kitty Pride using a word that mm. wasn't real great to be used. Uh, during this interview, they talk about uh this guy John that's interviewing him asks why he did that and like, did you think it if you had to do. Uh, God loves man kills today that you do the same bold choice. He's like, I could make it, but whether it could be published as it is, I don't know. Uh, so then he continues on. Chris Claremont says the point is language has power. Use of language is an, is an expression of power. Rap music had taken off to the passion extent it has over the, had not taken off to the passion extent it has over the subsequent 10 or 15 years. The airways were not as for lack of a better word, corrupted by language as they have become over the last 15 years. You turn on a series on FX now. You turn on a series on FX now, and poor old George Carlin's Seven Deadly Words are part of the average stock in trade. So I guess things changed, but the idea was at the time, as a writer and as an editor and a publisher at the place speaking to our audience, which I have to say we suspected was predominantly white. We wanted to make a point, and we wanted to make a point about words and about pain, hurting people. It isn't a matter of punching someone in the nose. How would you feel if he said this, Stevie? Would you have? been so tolerant then and that's a student talking to the teacher that's a young white jewish kid talking to her black hole model and there's no answer to it because from my experience in my youth my reality that was an insult and obscenity it was the kind of word that started fights it wasn't the subject of rap music and that's he goes on a little bit more so i mean like take it how you will i it i, I can it's hard for me to ever find a way i don't think i could ever find a way if i were a writer to justify doing it but I mean, he did, and he explains it, and I can see it in that. I can see where he's coming from in a way. Like you're trying, you are trying to make a point, and this was a powerful message that was being brought across. And he calls out, it's like most of the readers were probably white. Like, yeah, you're trying to say a message. It's just tough when you're tough to be okay with it. I guess from my perspective now in this day and age of being a white person, taking it upon yourself to, to be the one to do it like obviously at that time you probably weren't aware of that but like if i were to be a writer it's like i would have to i would have to have somebody do that that could Mm. i would have to ask for that from somebody or that would be requiring like i would any demographic that was you know from a different culture a different you know ethnicity it's like i would like i would need like a sensitivity testing on these things to make (laughs) sure that anything that i'm going with 
is not going to stray from what is true to to them. But other than that, like I mean, other than that, this book, this book was fantastic. Like, yeah. So yeah, and any and even that, it's it's real interesting because I was trying to imagine when I read that part of the interview with him that, uh, well, if if I've been writing this, would I have done it? Because I because I agree with his choice. Yeah. To, to use it, I don't know if I would have had the guts to use it. <laughs> I definitely. If I would have tried to figure out a way that um, that like maybe Kitty could have used like one of the derogatory terms f- for Jew. Yeah. Um, which is you know. Also horrible and bad and an obscenity, but mm-hmm. in some it's stupid, but in some ways less of one slightly, um, or maybe more than slightly. You know, I'm I'm a middle aged white guy. I mean, I don't have the perspective that that uh, the people that this hurts have. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I the way he did it, I thought was about the best that him, uh, another white guy writer, could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it, it achieved what it needed it was a very powerful moment and it got the point across I just yeah. hope that that some of the demographic reading this back then you know white dudes in high school or something got the point and were just like oh that's yeah, funny the, the message got across <laughs> yeah like and that's I mean any writer now like I I like the hope would always be like if you're trying to tell like a powerful message like hope that's in there and it's like surprising too even with the x-men stuff now like how much fans of x-men that i find out through like social media now and through like because of like i listen to podcasts that are you know big fans of like a specific like section of comics like x-men and like you learn that there are people within those comics that like those fan bases that you know are very anti-lgbtq mm. and like other stuff which is very interesting since a lot of the x-men kind of the the message of the x-men is is coming out and you know that thinks it's like oh like i i this really interesting that when the the concept is very even for me who sometimes can't even you know read on cues for some things uh i kind of got that message pretty easily so when you're not picking that up and then you're upset when there's like all these you know all these moments like Iceman, you know, coming out or featuring, you know, what might be a polyamorous relationship. I, I want it to be a polyamorous relationship. Sure. Put, put Scott, Gene and Cyclops together. Like it's the X-Men like, and that's kind of what they've been the whole time. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, definitely. Like I don't, I like to not see that or be against that. It's so interesting when that's what they represent. I don't know. It's yeah. It is it's so it's, weird. It, yeah. And it, and it is, it's kind of astounding. I mean, because yeah, I mean the X Men, Stanley, Jack Kirby created them. I mean the right during the Civil Rights Movement, they were from day one. They were always supposed to be an analog for for minorities and and women and you know everybody that wasn't like a straight cis white dude. <laughs> I, I mean, I like to hope, I like to think that hopefully growing up, a lot of the X Men stuff and their values and stuff is what helped shape me a little bit. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, growing up in the area I did, did not exactly, they probably would not be X-Men fans. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, this book was so good. I I thought the art, Brent Anderson's art, so finding out that Neil Adams wasn't going to do this uh, and then getting uh, Brent Anderson, like, wow. I, I'm normally not for just like how I play my games. Uh, when graphics get too old, 
Trevor does not go back. Uh, <laughs> not often. It's, some things don't hold up that well. Uh, this is an art style that, oh my gosh, it held up so well and it's so good. It like, does. And this is er- pretty early in Brent Anderson's career. Too. Yeah. Um, I, I just think like, I mean, the the panel sequences for, you know, the the religious like trip that Charles is going through is just terrifying, but you see it all play out. It is. I mean, the Cyclops shooting is optic blast and watching it go across the pages was very, like very creative and super awesome. Yeah. The stuff with the the TV screens. Yeah. He did. Anderson did a lot of different things in this because he also like in the flashback scene with strikers, kind of strikers origin story. Mm -hmm. Um, Art style was like very slightly sepia and he kind of did a painted style there. Yeah. There was a one panel. Here it is. Uh, oh yeah, when with you the see, lightning strike yeah, over like this, New York. Almost, it looks like a literal photo of New York. Yeah, just put into a comic panel form with some lightning, which was really interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's such a small panel, and it's just a beautiful panel. Yeah, like I like I didn't know if that was caused by storm, like because they had power dampening things, but it just seemed like yeah. a message from storm. Uh, I mean, even I the it was beginning too. There's one panel with. Um, Sorry, interrupt you. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, there's one panel with um, Magneto and his cool Magneto, speech. and a close-up of him with the Earth in the background, and and I just think it's interesting because because that really, I mean that I that really, I think that was an homage to Neil Adams because that looks like such a Neil Adams. That's a really good panel, um, like um, close-up of Magneto his face. face. Yeah, it's also uh, interesting. This Magneto looks, especially in some panels like that one, mm-hmm. um, that profile shot. He looks so old. I mean, he looks older than this than he does nowadays. <laughs> yeah, Magneto's age is very confusing. I I would like to think that now with the Krakoa thing, because apparently they must be able to make themselves any age they want. But even before yeah. the Krakoa stuff on the new X Men, back in like the Bendis run of Uncanny and everything else, I'm like, how old is Magneto? Like he keeps getting buffer and younger looking all yeah. the time. Oh yeah. Well, you know they're. Oh, what was the character called? Um, I mean, I guess like there there was a storyline before Claire. It might have been before Claremont. It was in the seventies, I think, where make <laughs> comic books, folks. There was this storyline where involving this villain called Eric the Red, who I think I might have actually been Magneto, but a clone it, of Magneto. So, yeah, they definitely a clone of Magneto, that something one. like that. They definitely killed that one in the Uncanny Run by Rosenberg okay. recently. Well, there was a storyline involving that villain where Magneto got de-aged to a baby. Okay, I remember hearing about and that. And then was like advanced somewhat in age, which I think is how they explain the fact that he's not like super you know old. 80 now cuz yeah. you know he was a preteen during the holocaust yeah so he should be like in his 80s or 90s you see him like three year, three or four years ago like during Bennis's run or something he's just jacked yeah like in the best shape <laughs> ever like goddamn uh <laughs> man uh but yeah i mean the story was super well done like i like the writing was really really good the story was fucking fascinating like self like a self-contained story it definitely felt like a black label ahead of its time if you were using that comparison yeah like i yeah this was i can see why like the musings podcast like say this is like a essential read for x-men like it's not like it's out of continuity but it like it nails down the concept of like who the x-men are like what they have to face constantly and what and and, i mean even the new x-men run like they are they are at this level where they should be equals and now they're considering themselves above the human race because they are the natural progression but even still like you're seeing what they've faced still trying to fight back against that and it's 
just i mean this was so good like yeah and there's i think and it's interesting that when claremont in the interview in here and he talks about how you know he was trying to kind of sum up everything the x-men have always represented in one story and he does it really well and he didn't expect it to really have he was hoping it would, but he didn't, exp- he didn't know if it would have the impact he was hoping for, what it would last. And yeah. It has. And there's that scene at the end where um, I mean, all the X-Men are in the room, but it's Magneto and Charles and Scott having that talk about Charles is thinking, well, maybe I've failed and I sh- you're right, Magneto. And, and Scott talks him out of, out of that, not giving up his dream. And I felt like, wow, Claremont knew these characters so well. He, of course, couldn't predict what Hickman's doing now, but yeah. this all kind of foreshadows, this conversation foreshadows House and Powers and Dawn of X and the way now that they've kind of even, for whatever reasons, Scott has also come over to that site, and they're kind of doing more of a version of Magneto's Yeah, they're taking things. more of a Magneto route. Yeah, yeah, and and I just really thought that was interesting. That was so clever because now there's all these hints in the current X books that you know, things may not be this utopia. And I mean, I'm, I'm still convinced personally, Krakoa is controlling Charles. And I, I was under know. the impression that it was my, my guess is that it is Moira controlling Charles mm. after some of those data pages that I actually oh, did yeah. read. Cause I don't read all of them <laughs> all the time. I definitely think it's that. And I'm my big, like my big guess is like, obviously Magneto loves this whole thing, but I, I, I'm going to guess that there is going to, because they've already talked about like they're stringing along Mystique mm. and yeah. Wolverine just introduced Omega Red. So you've got three ways that the shoe is going to drop for me is because they already also in X-Force revealed that, you know, Xavier took advantage of the island getting invaded as like a way to get himself killed just as a message, mm. just, just to get like people more on the side. So it's taking in a very extreme route, but like, if Mesquite doesn't do it, like really set things on fire, Omega Red's gonna do it. Yeah. Or it's gonna be, I like honestly think it would be Xavier because I, or not Xavier, I think it would be Magneto, even though he wants this. I think if he finds out that Charles is not exactly who he has been and who he knows Charles to be, or finds out that like he's being manipulated, I think that's gonna cause some problems yeah. down the road. And like I think that's gonna be a real powerful message if Magneto does it. Because I thought about that more recently. Like, if Magneto gets upset that Charles, like, his whole life has been changed because Moira needed it to be, I think that's going to be, like, an emotional thing of, you know, friendship over, like, this world that Moira wants. So, yeah, it's it's going to blow up pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, I've even, I've even been wondering, especially after I read this story, there's, there's even little – maybe I'm inter- over-interpreting, but I feel like, you know, the fact that Kitty – has restricted access because she can't go through the mm-hmm. portals. I even kind of started after reading this. I was kind of like, is there something there symbolically it, about the fact that, you know, she's, is, is it like keeping out? I mean, they're, they're a nation of others, mm-hmm. it's keeping but she seems own. like to be being denied some access to the nation of others. So she's being like othered by the others. Yeah. If it's not, <laughs> if it's not that tease for sinisters, like, under like insurgent that isn't a mutant but is posing as a mutant if it's not that it's somewhere along the same lines as why they can't have precogs like for some reason kitty is a reason another reason they can't have as much access she 
she's not a precog or she's not definitely not allowed to come back, but there's restrictions. And I think I feel like Kitty would be a character and I'm hoping at least some of the main X-Men, probably not Beast with the way his route's going, <laughs> but I'm hoping like Cyclops, especially after his route that he's taken for so long and Jean are going to kind of start because it feels like an indoctrination. Like, yeah. I mean, it's not saying that the books aren't great. They're amazing. Oh, reads, yeah. They're, but it are. definitely feels culty and yeah. very ominous. And yeah. if it, I would say it probably will run like a couple <laughs> years before then it does its like downfall kind of thing where everything crumbles. And then we're going to get yeah. like the status quo change of picking up the pieces again. Mm. But I mean, it's all great. But this it story, is boy, boy, when you read this week's X-Men number seven oh, I'll, or whatever it is, I'll text you. I'll it's text you. it's. It, it, it's the whole issue is just about moral questions about what's happening there. Thank um, yes, like I've been it's waiting really for that. Good. <laughs> I'm waiting for that. Uh, it was great reading that issue, and God loves man kills yes. in the same week. <laughs> this was oh my gosh, yeah. I'm excited. I might just do that one first right after this. So if you were to rate this book, Roman, where would you put it? Oh man, um, I, I top rating. I'll give it a ten. Ten? Yeah. Is uh, that our top rating? Our top rating. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no limit to our top rating. Uh, I would give it. I would give it a ten, also for sure. This was, yeah. I'm so happy that I found out about this through the Meet Musings podcast and heard about it, and picked it up. Like this was fantastic. I'm glad I picked it sooner than later to read. Yeah. For this podcast, because yeah, this I would definitely say I'm not one to be a person to recommend. Even when I worked at the shop, it was. I I was not a very hard pusher on like recommendations from my side. Mm -hmm. I would pick stuff based off of other people. Like I'd work as an like a human Spotify playlist. Like oh, based off of this, like you'd probably enjoy this. Or I'd kind of dip, like give people a little bit of what I liked. But if I were actually heavily push something, I would heavily push this. Like this is fantastic. Absolutely, we should get a shelf for our podcast down there. That oh, has yeah. our picks and get some copies of this on that shelf, like more than a couple copies. We should. I mean, and this is such a nice package because not only the story, but you've got that great introduction. The great introduction. By Claremont. The interviews from Brent Anderson and yeah, you uh, get Claremont. It. And you get some of the Neil Adams art that would have yeah. been in this story, which had Angel in it. Uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting that, you know, there was – a few different because yeah, Neil Adams did the X Men back in the sixties. Yeah, the late 60s, him and so, so it was he was like the artist, yeah. one of the artists for X Men because I mean just like yeah. Claremont was, like he was a pioneer for X Men. He did so much stuff. Yeah, which I think is why he included Angel here because when he was doing X Men, Angel yeah was one of the one of his always dudes. one of the X Men. Yeah, I don't think like I've read that many that, older X Men stories that didn't have Claremont's name in it. <laughs> Yeah, and this is such because you get a glimpse in here because there's an interview with Claremont, there's an interview with Neil Adams, and there's an interview with Brett Anderson, the mm-hmm. artist. So you get a glimpse from each of them what you know the Their whole creating was. a graphic novel process is like. You get a, life, because yeah. of Neil Adams's interview, you get a glimpse of the whole the ongoing debate about work for hire versus. Um, I thought that was very interesting that they included that in here. Like, yeah, I yeah, like, I thought wow, so too. Like, because yeah, good because on you. and you know, won't get into too much, but he had been told, I guess, verbally that this wouldn't be work for hire. And then when he got the contract to sign, it was work for yeah, hire, and that's why he decided one not of my to do favorite it. Favorite things from getting employed by places <laughs> when they say one thing and do yeah, the other thing. Yeah, oh. so yeah, you can't fault him at all for that. <laughs> no, so it's I just lo- really interesting how you get all these glimpses of. I um, love his response when he brings that up. He's like, mm, "No, Neil, yeah. we're not doing this." Yeah, I loved it. Uh, yeah. Well, 
Roman, before we in fact, end, I'm, though, in fact, I'm going to buy this copy because I realize I don't actually have a copy of this in my I'm collection, and copy. yeah, I'm going to buy this one. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, Roman, before we end the podcast, oh. though, it is your turn to pick the next read. Oh man! If you need a minute, I'll just well, you know, bu- I can buffer some time while you're looking for something. I'll just, you know, <laughs> let everybody know <laughs> for whatever. Well, this will come out by the end of February, but uh, uh, this week's pickups for Trevor are Ant Man number two by Zeb Wells. <laughs> Star number two by Kelly Thompson, Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I'm very excited for because I love me some Falcon. Spider-Man number 40 by Spencer, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Avengers, The Last Temptation Mm, of Iron Man. That's good. Giant Size, X-Men, Jean Grey, Emma Frost. This Um, is cool. Jeff pointed out to me that... uh, this issue is kind of an homage to there was a I think Grant Morrison one of his, I think X-Men it was an one twenty one or one twenty one. I heard somebody say on Twitter it was like X Men one twenty one. Yeah, it's mostly X-Men silent and there's all all art and Ooh, I'm excited action for that. sequences and yeah. especially if it's Russell Dodderman. Yeah, art. Yes, the best artist Marvel yeah. has. Jessica Jones, Blind Spot number four, New Mutants number eight with Magma. Shazam, my only DC Return of the Monster week. Society. Yeah, I'm ex- so excited. So there's some different monsters in it now. Nice. I'm really <laughs> pumped. My DC subscription is down to like four. Yeah. Well, I started collecting in 2016, and I had like 20 DC subscriptions mm-hmm. and three Marvel, and now it's just like, yeah, I can't, I can't really carry all these Marvels oh, out of this store. cover too. The cover's great for X Men number seven. I got X Force number eight, Fantastic Four, X Men number two. I wasn't gonna pick up Grimnor, even though I love the thing, <laughs> but it's a one shot, yep. so I'm gonna do it. And it's uh, great. It's awesome. I got a Peach Momoko variant for Valkyrie that I did not even oh. know, and I'm really That's excited cool. about that. And I also picked up the variant for uh, the Par Parel variant for Jean Grey Emma Frost giant size because I really wow. love the coloring and the the kind of angular art style. The other one looked really good, but I really like the Parel. Uh, all right. Well, I don't know if I can buffer any longer. Well. Um... Well, what do you think? I got a couple different things I was Let thinking lay of. Them out. Uh, well, since we're on, I, I, after reading this, I kind of want to read some more Magneto. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I was thinking Magneto Testament. Okay, okay. okay. Pretty pretty heavy read, but yeah, <laughs> I would like to reread it. Or I was thinking, well, of course, this is also a heavy read. The Penguin graphic novel. I forget who wrote that series. Penguin was, is in Cobblepot Penguin? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there was a really good series some years ago, and it's very dark scary penguin um so what do you feel like reading next <laughs> well let's make sure i want to make sure because i have not ever heard of the penguin one i want to make sure i can't sure. remember who did it it was like six issues maybe maybe five issues i'm gonna see if it's online just to make sure that oh that's true we have available. to check out the availability uh, i know magneto testament's still around because that was i'm not even great. seeing it like on i kind of just want to read a whole bunch of magneto <laughs> dc penguin miniseries Maybe it disappeared. I mean, it. Uh, I, I'm trying to search Amazon at the least, and I, yeah. nothing's coming yeah. up. So maybe we might have to go with Magneto Testament. Yeah, folks. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a heavy read. Again, it's continuing the uh, kind of this week's X Men theme of uh, looking at uh, the evils of hatred and not seeing people as human. I'm excited for that because this was really good. And, yeah, I mean, you know, oh, boy, I'm excited. So, yeah. well, that'll do it for this episode of Infinity Content Podcast. Uh, tune in next month for our next episode where we do cover Magneto Testament. If you have any comments or thoughts on X-Men God Loves Man Kills, you can email us at infinitycontentcomics at gmail.com. Infinitycontentcomics at gmail.com. 
and this has been a Comics Place podcast. So until next time, we'll see you later. Thanks, Bye. Folks. Bye.